Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Dean will be sharing on Christians and politics, a challenge from history. So, Dean, you can take it from here. God bless you. Thank you very much, Brother Wendell. And uh, I do thank you all uh, for creating this forum. I, I, I'm looking for ways to, to proactively take advantage of the great disadvantage that COVID has brought to the church and particularly in, in, in damaging community. And, um, and so this is, this is remarkable. It's a remarkable kickback uh, to try to do something uh, purposeful and intentional. So I, my blessings to you. I'm dealing with a little bit of a, a, a situation. I have a cracked screen, so I'm going to be looking at this screen to read my slides, and I'm trying to get the light on it and everything. So bear with me with that. Also, the other thing is reading screens with bifocals. It's, it's always a little hard, so if you can forgive me for reading like that. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. Um, this, this issue is, is dear to me and it's one that has perplexed me since my journey has been amongst the, the Anabaptists and basic for my 30 years of since my conversion. And it has just perplexed me how we continually, um, get into the politics and believe the politics of this world and, um, so the, the message I'm mainly hitting today is looking at the historical examples of, as to see the way that, that the, um, the message was, was discussed and that I'm, I'm basically saying that the same theology given a similar circumstance, a similar situation will create the same result. And that's my message that I'm wanting to show through, through history this morning and for you to, to recognize that and that why we continually get into this. Um, if, and, and I think that most of the conservatives that are here at, on this list and, and most of you, I think that I, I could just tell by your questions to me, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir a bit. What, I, what I'm concerned is that even though we know better to stay out of politics, there's still a leaven that is controlling the way that we, we see ourselves, even as a people of God. And I think I see Brother John D. Martin on here. And uh, I think one of the, the best things, the concept is the concept of the kingdom of God is that we are to represent, one of my favorite quotes from Brother John D. is we as a church, what the kingdom of God should be is that we, the church, should show the whole world what the whole, how the whole world should live if, she would, if it would only follow the king. And I think this is an important concept that we keep thinking that there's an answer outside of Jesus Christ and outside of the, the, uh, the kingdom of God. So... Let me hop right in. I'm going to try to keep it timely. I have a lot of different examples that I want to show you. I'm going to give you just a touch of theology from some important Bible concepts that I threw in this morning to my slideshow. Um, and hopefully I won't have too many little glitches with my presentation. So here I go. I'm going to share the screen. Um, so... messed up here so sorry already messing up uh, yes no problem dean so go to here and go to share screen okay so this has been a this has been a messy a messy um a messy time. I got scenes like this given to me, and my heart just ached. This last election, when when I began to get um, these sorts of scenes, um, let me see that. Um, it, it began to be uh, something that I just thought, wow, are we, are we really, do we really understand how this continues to happen through, through history? And since my journey of, of 30 years in the, in the Anabaptist kingdom world, um, 
it's it's I've seen I've been through a lot of elections. I've been through some that have been uh, Democratic presidents and Republican presidents, and um, this has been the worst. Uh, I I believe that that what we've what we've recognized and what we witnessed in this last election that I do believe we've lost ground and lost a lot of credibility. I'm going to show you uh, historically why this is very damaging and why our message needs to be a lot more clear about what we're, um, how, we're, how we're dealing with this. But it seems like what you have before, before you here is, is, is more damaging, I think, than we could possibly realize. Of, of all, if, you just, if you look across that buggy and all the different um, um, mixed messages, it's, it's, just, it's just a disaster. Um, and so, um, looking at this, one of the things that, that gets me is that, uh, so for, for school, I, I, so that I can teach at school, I'm, I'm back in school myself and I'm with, at, at, there in Myerstown, there's a seminary there called evangelical. So I'm at an evangelical seminary to getting my doctorate, um, in historical theology so that I can teach history. And it's what I'm finding amazing is that the evangelicals, like Luther here looking back, are looking back to the Anabaptists, are looking for other, are looking for solutions. They themselves are recognizing that something's wrong. And they themselves are like, wow, we don't want to follow this Trumpism. We don't want to get involved with this. And just at the moment when they're beginning to look back the other way, we're seeing the scenes like what's happening. I want to grant that we are also seeing unprecedented times. Uh, when we we see the, the disaster that happened in 2020 with within every city and every um, you know these t- type of riots, we've seen a polarization of 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 our country like we've we've never seen before, and of course we've seen this this ominous threat of of whether true or imagined, it doesn't really matter what it's done to our country and what it's done to our world is just formidable and and amazing. And I will say that I think one of the most brilliant statements in church history is, is, was given to us in the Schleidheim Confession of 1527. And in there, if, particularly when you think of how easy it is to get our, our two kingdom concepts wrong, um, this is, is so brilliant. And, um, and in, in, the, in that statement, it, it says here, and when speaking of the state, finally it is observed that it is not appropriate for a Christian to serve a magistrate because of these points. The government magistrate is according to the flesh, but the Christian is according to the spirit. The worldlings are armed with steel and iron, but the Christians are armed with the armor of God, with truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. It goes on to say, as you recall, that they were given the the sword of the of the, the sword of the sword, we were given reconciliation and, and understanding that God gives us this human government um, to govern the lost, to govern this earth that are not the kingdom of God, and that he's given us the kingdom, but we are to fight. We are to be a people of God. Um, and to understand that balance, when it's so easy to get confused with that, was, I, I believe, certainly inspired at least, not in a sense of revelation, but it was, it was, it was, by the word of God, uh, you only can give this to them. And, and, I, and I think that this balance is, is brilliant and it needs to be um, for us to understand. And the more clear we understand that balance, as they did in Schleidheim, I think that we'll be able to, to bless our government that we have today. I don't care if it's President Hillary, Biden, um, oh, you know, Trump or Oprah Winfrey. Um, it doesn't really, it, it doesn't matter um, in the sense that we are to give our, we understand that God has put them there. Um, so I'm going to touch on a few of these scriptures, and then I'm going to get into the historical example. One of the most chilling, chilling scenes, I think, in the word of God is when Jesus is before Pilate, and, and Pilate, you know, says to them, you know, Pilate enters there and says, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you speaking for yourself? Or did others tell this concerning me? And so this concept of, of him asking Jesus, are you king? Jesus pretty much elu- uh, evaded, or not evaded, but purposely did not answer many of the questions. But this he honed in on. And he, and he asked, and Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests had delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom 
were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And, and then, and then, and then Pilate said, well, then are you a king then? And, and I want you to notice that in this, because he said he's not of this world, Pilate, in his Greek mind, immediately went, well, does, does that even count then? Are you really even a king? And that's the way we consider this. We think, oh, we have our theological brain and we have our physical brain. Well, does that really count then? Jesus' response was, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause, I was born. That's a really profound statement. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone is who of the truth will hear my voice. And so this, this concept that then Pilate said, you speak to me. Do you not realize that I have the authority to release you? And the authority to crucify you. And Jesus didn't answer here, you know, no, you don't. You know, he didn't say, that's ridiculous, you don't have any authority. And this is a really important point. He acknowledges this authority. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given from above, given you from above. I mean, so here Jesus is recognizing that Pilate has been given the authority from his father to kill him. And that, if, whenever we talk about bad leadership or bad things and, not, and recognizing different leaderships of the world, this point, this clarity of these two kingdoms here need to be very um, front and center to us. As we look at Romans 13, we have to realize that when we're coming out of Romans 12, where the Apostle Paul is is discussing, you know, the basically giving a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. And we come to Romans 13, after he's just told us that we should, in, in any way we can, live at peace with all men, and that we should love our enemies and feed them and bless them. And how should we do with this government? And he makes it very clear that, that the government has been given to us by God, given to us by God. And he calls him there in Romans 13, the leadership of, of, of this world, a minister, and that he's been given the sword. And a lot has been done with this and, and, and talked about this whole concept of, of what it means to be this minister. In the 70s, books like this Christ and Culture by, by Niebuhr here, by Richard Niebuhr, really challenged the Anabaptist perspective and try to tell us and, and bring us into this center where we're balanced in the world and, and part of the politics. In, in theological circles, there's this person by the name of Abraham Kuyper. He is a, a Calvinist, and now with the, 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 uh, the passion of, of neo-Calvinism, Kuyper has become sort of a, a, um, a really popular concept, and it's because he has this great quote. And if you remember in my debate uh, there at Faneuil Hall, uh, the, the, the bizarre logic that Dr. Charles was trying to get into about his wife, I mean, his sister being a a horse trainer or something. He was trying to give this Kuyperian argument. And, but here's the point. So the Kuyper says, he says, there's not a square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who was sovereign over all, does not cry mine. I mean, that's really a great quote. And so the concept with this is that we should not leave politics. We should not get out of that realm, whether you're a horse trainer or a, a soldier or a magistrate that God is sovereign. And so the question is, does Kuiper in this Kuiperian view, does he, does that mess you up then? Do you not recognize these two kingdoms as the Sleidheim brothers did? And does his theology, Abraham Kuiper, hurt us? What's interesting, we can look at some of Kuiper's further quotes here. And he says, he says, um, later on in a different writing, he says, if coercion by the state only worked, we would not for a moment hesitate to employ it. In another place, he says, um, I do not draw back if someone should say, well, then you desire to propose that if need require it, idolatry and similar sins be punished capitally, means they'll put you to death. And he answers, if need be, very certainly. And so this concept of this Kuyperian view messes up 
this idea. And one point that I really want to bring out here as we as I walk through the history examples, God uses these politics of the world. Now, as Anabaptists and kingdom people, we, we detest the concept that God would sovereignly choose people and by predestination force them to be damned. However, we must not go so far as we don't believe in sovereignty and working on this earth. And that's a confusion sometimes. We, re- we sometimes think, well, well, then these passages that I'm about to show you, they show that God is works in the nations and controls the nations and things. And he does. What we mostly protest to is the Augustine and Lutheran and Calvinistic concept that God uh, makes us saved and makes us damned in that, in that relationship. And that we, that we protest. But that he would use the kings of this world to do his um, work in this earth, he does, we do recognize that he does. And here it says in Jeremiah, Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take of the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring him against the land and against his people. Um, but then it says in a few verses later, as after he's using Jeremiah as his minister to, against his own people, that, that uh, 70 years later, he will come and bring judgment. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are complete that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, said the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. And so um, this is a, uh, an important concept. God used Nebuchadnezzar for his purposes, but then judged him. Just because God used Nebuchadnezzar doesn't mean he, he was blessed with it. And then one very, very important passage that I want to pay attention, uh, have you pay attention to, is found in Isaiah 10.5. I didn't even put this in my book. Whenever we do a reprint of the book, I'm going to go stick this passage in because I did not include this in my, in my book. And it's, it's an incredibly important passage for this concept. In Isaiah 10, Isaiah talks about using the Assyrians um, to... to also to punish his own people. And he says this, Woe to the Assyrians, uh, the rod of my anger and the staff whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation and against the people of my wrath. I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey, and to tread tread them down like the mire of the street. So he's using the Assyrians, sovereignly using them, to to do his purpose. Now, what are the Assyrians thinking? So let's put it into our modern times. God uses America to stop Nazis or to stop uh, communism or to stop Islam. If he uses Hitler to stop something else, if he uses the different things, um, does, what, what, is it, what are the people, the leaders thinking who are, who are going through that process of being used by God for that purpose? The next verse is very critical. Take a look. Therefore, I, um, oops. Therefore, it shall come. No, no, no. Oops. Sorry. Next, verse seven is the important verse. Yet he does not mean so. This is the Assyrians. Nor does his heart think so. But it is in his heart to destroy, to cut off nations, to cut off, uh, to cut off not a few nations. So the, the crazy important concept here is that the, the people that are being used of God to serve God's purposes and the sovereignty of this earth and, and to protect and to move the earth that have his boundaries of to say this far and no further. He will use them and in their minds, they're just going to war. And when we go through all of history, or we think of World War II and all the different things, we say, are you saying then that God, that God didn't use America to stop Hitler or these types of things? I, this verse for here gives us a perfect understanding that God may, may very well, I don't know, God may very well be using um, us in, a, in America in a, in, a, in a different way, but in their minds, they don't even think so. Does that mean then that he blesses America or blesses the, the Assyrians or blesses Nebuchadnezzar or blesses Pilate? No. In Isaiah 12, 10, it goes on to say that he brings judgment against them. 
and because of their arrogant heart and because they said they've done this. I tell you, in this last election, this last time, I never forget this text that I, or the, the news article that went out when the President Trump and he, and he was going through these different things and, and there was a lot of problems. I grant that the liberals were attacking and doing different things. And, but when he said this, it was right before, uh, look, it's October 7th. Um, it just, my mind meant immediately to, to Nebuchadnezzar and the Assyrian. And he says, as I have stated strongly before, and just to reiterate, if Turkey does anything that I, in my great and unmatched wisdom, consider to be off limits, I will totally destroy and obliterate the economy of Turkey. I've done it before. They must, with Europe, with others, watch over it. He goes on. When, when he said uh, this, I trembled for him because I thought, wow, you're falling into, you don't realize you're being used of God in a way that I don't think I use differently than the conservative uh, evangelicals use. But when you begin to think that you really, you are the one that's doing this and your unmatched wisdom, um, then God brings a judgment that is, that is very severe. And so all the stories of how God uses um, different people during wars and different things, I think is, um, um, can, can be, can be seen in that light. So here's what's happened now to my, my, the rebuke to us, to our people, to, to, to our hearts. Jeremiah says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, his way, the way of Jesus Christ, the kingdom way. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Um, and so this is, I think, um, the whole passage here of J Joshua 5.13, uh, when Joshua comes you know, through Jericho and these types of things, and the angel asked him, whose side are you on? He, I mean, Jer Jer Joshua asked the angel, whose side are you on? And the angel said to him, you know, very, very clearly, um, nay, but the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. I'm not on any one of your sides. I'm with God. And this is, I guess, the, the, the thing that I, I think that we have to um, get mostly in our mind is that we have an agenda. We have a fight. We have a kingdom. We have a constitution. We have a purpose to accomplish on this earth, um, and, we, um, and we must go to fight it. So, all right. I need to go quickly here. I, I was kind of assuming that it would be an hour and then the question, so I'm going to have to cut through a few slides. Um, I thought I had a few more minutes, uh, so it's 40 minutes, but I'm going to cut through a, a section here. But in my, in my journey, um, I've been... I've been just dumbfounded when I when I first came up to Lancaster County, and um, and dealt with those different things. Um, I've been baffled by seeing how the the conservative Anabaptists have given so much lip service to the to the Republican agenda. When I first got there, is when George Bush flew his U.S. Um, what is it USA One into Lancaster County Airport, and uh, got on the plane with an Amish hat. And here he went to, you know, lap electric and, and those kind of things. And it's always just baffled me. And as we look at the politics, you know, it's, it's interesting how the world is, divides these things. And, you know, when we look at what the left supporting, the abortion, the gay marriage, the feminism, the no prayer in school, the, the government public education. And the right, they support capital punishment, anti-immigration, increased military spending, preemptive strikes on other countries. And, and capitalistic, uh, you know, damaging things with, with e economic ventures and things. So you ask, well, who would Jesus vote for? It becomes just, just really odd. It's, it's, it's interesting, you know, as we, we consider these things that well, usually what's said is that we choose a lesser evil. And then the problem is, as Christians, we should never get into this kind of a thing. And that when we begin to, to consider... Uh, the idea of, of, um, of choosing an evil, it's still a lesser evil, it's still choosing another evil. So as someone once said here, constantly choosing the lesser of two evil is still choosing evil. Very well said. Even Spurgeon 
of two evils choose neither. Um, we have the kingdom of God. And here's a little modern thing of what we are facing in politics over and over again. So usually when you go through the history, people say, well, that's different. People, when I describe, um, you know, the abuse that's happened in the, in the Reformation times or the early church times, people say that's, that's what's, it's different now. But, but here's my point. The same theology, given similar circumstances, will very likely once again create the same results. Yes, things are different now, and the, and the liberals are holding the conservative politician, the Christian politicians, um, uh, a little more responsible. That's good. I'm glad the pagans can hold us at bay. At bay. Um, but given the opportunity, you'll see these same things as Kuiper Kuiper's view um, represents, it'll once again show itself out, and it always does in history. Ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. Uh, We are to be on earth as it is in heaven. We, as we think of heaven, we should be what is to become. And that's our concept. That's our our idea of of who we should be and how we should um, um, act in that way. So I'm going to show you a few examples, and then I'm going to—I'm not going to get into all of them, but then I'm going to show, show how we, have, as a people, have have fallen in this. I'll probably just get from um, uh, the the prohibition into a little bit to World War II. So let's go real quick. Um, coming out of the Civil War, we we were losing non-resistance both in America and in um, um, and in Germany, particularly in Germany, um, and then. It was actually, if it wasn't for some of the people like Harold S. Bender and some of the, the people who found some of the writings there at Goshen and started publishing and, and bringing out some of these things, that some of those people there um, really helped I- re-identify the church and some of these, these, these uh, very important doctrines. So after World War I, uh, this is where it was really revealed to be a, a mistake. So in World War I, you started to get prohibition. Prohibition was they were literally trying to get rid of, um, they were really trying, literally trying to get rid of, of drinking in the entire country. And so they were going door to door and into Mennonite, into Mennonite homes, evangelical Christians, and saying, surely you'll realize that this is something that, that we should um, you know, that we should try to, uh, do something about. And people like Billy Sunday here, who, who, um, you know, went through the, the nations and, and tried to, uh, you know, stir up the, the different. America needs a tidal wave of the old time religion. America needs to be taken down to God's back. Yeah. He did, he did quite a job of going through, um, going through the different times and, and stirring things up. I think my screen is freezing. Is it freezing a little bit? Yeah. Let me. The time is Yeah, let me get past there. How's that? Um, let me catch up. I think that that's freezing my screen a little bit. Here's Billy Sunday. Um, so the Mennonites, they, they wait till that slide catches up. The Mennonites got into them. Here's a, a, uh, a prohibition meeting in a Mennonite church in, in Canada. And we started really getting into this. Um, the, the, the cry to vote was going from place to place. And this lady here is an interesting name. Her name is Carrie A. Nation. She carried a nation and she did. And it gave uh, a, a feisty response to um, to uh, trying to um, yeah, make a difference. And so they wanted to make a difference in these things. And so this this was this was understandable. Here's another group of Mennonites in Canada who were uh, part of these temperance leagues that worked towards making um, making these changes. Um, and really, you see this now coming to coming to 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 the head in the the uh, uh, temperance movement of of the of the early nineteen or late eighteen hundreds and nineteen hundreds. And here is uh, Bishop Broombaugh. Broombaugh was one of the leading bishops of the German Baptists, 
And he wrote the, the first real history of the German Baptist, one of the first histories ever written of the Anabaptists in, in general. And, then, and I found this quote in his book, The History of the German Baptist Brethren in Europe and America. And he, he wrote this, talking about temperance. He said, temperance is a time-honored and Bible-sanctioned principle. The church from its beginning has refused to allow any member to engage in the liquor traffic, to drink intoxicants, or to use tobacco. The oldest temperance society in the country is the Church of the German Baptist Brother. And you see how he, he, he wrapped the church into this entire temperance society. The membership is temperate, sober, honest, and industrious. For almost two centuries, it has been a proverb among the people that the word of a tunker uh, is to is good as his bond. They pay all their obligations promptly and do not live beyond their incomes. And so this concept of this wrapping, the temperance movement of politics with the Anabaptists was something. Well, the, the American conservative evangelicals pulled it off. And in 1919, literally, the um, there was a, a, a temperance was... Uh, there was actually a constitutional amendment that made it happen, but it didn't last long. And there was collateral damage, and literally, then the the uh, from that in nineteen nineteen thirty three, the, the another bill was signed that made it made it where um, temperance movement was over, and and the and it was, it was devastating. Here, President Franklin Roosevelt said in the day in the newspaper, "I think this would be a good time for a beer," and and all of all of Billy Sunday's boys ended up in terrible alcoholics and the collateral damage that was done there. But what had happened to the Anabaptists and involved in politics was severe. Here's a pulpit from Philadelphia, and you can see the star-spangled pulpit that was happening um, there at this time. Um, and Broomball went on, went on to run for politics, and eventually Broomball was elected as governor of Pennsylvania. And uh, now we had a German Baptist bishop who's head of Pennsylvania, who uh, is governor of Pennsylvania. He then went on to run for uh, against um, uh, Wilson for the president of the United States. And as soon as he was governor of Pennsylvania, there was a, I think it was a labor union revolt, which is interesting, uh, in, in Pittsburgh. And he called the militia out against them. When the World War I broke out, he called it a holy war, and he himself reinitiated the, the loyalty oath to the people of his cabinet um, and, and just really got past all of his convictions, left all of his convictions to, to go into these things. It was a tragedy. And the collateral damage of that was terrible. Vera's Journey, I don't know if you all have read this. Uh, it's a great book. Don't be uh, deceived by the, the cover. It's a great book, and she talks about this time period of how um, it's an interesting family where a brother and, uh, and a Mennonite were married and how they were intermixed with these different things. How this affected um, the Hutterites, there were some martyrs there when they were, were taken, and World War I sort of woke up um, the church. The, the reason that it was given behind all those things is that people repeatedly just keep saying, it's getting so bad, we just have to vote. And um, that's what you keep hearing. So I'm going to try to give, if you don't mind, I'm going to try to give one more example and then take us through World War II, and then um, I'll stop there. And I, I won't pick on the evangelicals. There's some pretty shocking things that they did. I'll just pick on us. i never forget when I first got to Lancaster County, then it was the first time there when, when it was a different election. I was driving by this, I think most of you all recognize this pretzel shop, on 322. And I went in there, I think it's run by either 35ers or Joe Angers or something. And I went on in the, in the, on the, uh, um, uh, the, the counter there was a, a stack of papers on, uh, with voter registration cards and a stack of papers on little pam pamphlets of why you have to vote for the Republican Party, if you're any self-respecting Christian, of course. And I, and I asked the, the young lady there, I said, well, um, when, since when have horse and buggy Mennonites been voting? And she said, of course, well, it's getting so bad, we just have to. And this is what you, you hear over and over again. Uh, and the, you heard it in, in, in those different times in World War I. You heard it 
in World War II, and this is what I'm going to show you. So in World War I, in America, we were losing. And again, if, I don't th I, if it wasn't for some of the uh, brothers like Bender and, and some of those that brought back uh, some of those, those concepts, we were losing non-resistance. We lose, lost it quickly in Germany. And they were quickly getting involved in World War I and these things. By World War II, the conservative Christians were really buying into Hitler's agenda. This is the belt buckle of every Nazi soldier. And I think most of you who can read a little German can read there, Gott mit uns, God with us, was the, the cry, the battle cry of the Nazis. And the Mennonites really um, scooped this up. Uh, a profound statement to consider is that the worst atrocities ever inflicted upon mankind have been committed by men who think they do God a service. This happens over and over again in history. Usually the worst stuff, I'm sorry, comes from a self-righteous right more than a disgusting, liberal, demonized left. Um, the, the fascist... Um, with their holy agenda. Um, Marx, I think, could be considered an exception. Well, he, he tried purposely to go against um, a Christian view and was very atheistic. But Mao picked up the, the religious um, hammer and tried to, to use it in China in his way uh, and more with, with religion. Hitler certainly took that. So the Mennonites were already losing this in before World War I with some of the battles there, Prussia and, and, the, and North. And now coming into World War I, they, just, they saw what was happening with Russia and they saw their, 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 their brethren, their comrades in, in the Ukraine and being hurt and damaged. And now they're hearing Hitler, he's restoring the, um, he's restoring the, the, uh, uh, the country and... And they're saying, you know, I like this guy. He's standing for Christian principles. And so they actually got together and at the beginning of World War II and said, you know, it's getting so bad for us. We need to support this man. And they wrote a telegram. And here's the telegram they actually said. So in a telegram written September 10th, 1933, representing the sentiments of the church council that has just taken place, said this. To the Chancellor Adolf Hitler, Berlin, the Conference of East and West Prussia Mennonites assembled today in Tergenhagen, free state of Danzig, feels a deep gratitude for the powerful revival that God has given our nation through your energies and promise, joy, promises joyful cooperation in the upbuilding of our fatherland through the power of the gospel, faithful to the motto of our fathers, forefathers, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure that Hitler didn't have the time to, to answer everyone, but to him, to the Mennonites, he did. For your loyalty and readiness to cooperate in the building of the German nation expressed in your letter to me, I express my sincere thanks, Adolf Hitler. And it was returned to the Mennonites thank, thanking them. The agenda of, of seeing their involvement with that was shocking. There is one glowing example that resisted. Everhart Arnold and a new Hutterite group that was starting there and a new Anabaptist group was looking into the early Anabaptist writings in the early church and came against this. And, and literally in their communities there started meeting with this and saying this was nonsense, wrote a letter. This is the response, literally wrote a letter um, two Nazis saying, you've got it wrong. And it's, there's an interesting new book. And it's a great title, An Embassy Besieged. They saw themselves as an embassy of heaven. This is a great concept. Um, and they are besieged. Um, and they were taken. Uh, when they were, they got kicked out of Germany. The Mennonite Central Committee helped them get into Paraguay. When they got into Paraguay, they saw they got down to, to, to the Mennonites in Paraguay. And they were all Nazis. Interesting, in a telegram from the, the, the Mennonites in, in Paraguay, they also wanted to get into the act and wrote Hitler and said this. With greatest excitement, we German Mennonites of the Paraguay and Chaco follow the events in our beloved motherland and experience in spirit the national revolution of the German people. We are happy that in Germany, after so long time, a government that freely and openly professes God as creator, stands as the head of the nation. 
with special sympathy, we hear that the current government takes seriously, listen to these points, takes seriously the realization of Christian principle in social, economic, and cultural life, and especially emphasizes the protection of the family. And so when this is the picture that Eberhard Arnold saw in the, the main Mennonite church in, in, in Paraguay, um, in Sentian, and it's a picture of Adolf Hitler right over the pulpit um, uh, in, the, in the church. Um, the youth leader riding home was talking about that. He just says, if, if one lives through such weeks in Germany, one is drawn involuntarily under the spell of the Fuhrer and can do nothing else than confess oneself a national socialist. Um, this is me <laughs> in 1989 at the Berlin Wall. And I was drinking of that same political garbage. And at this moment, when I shook the hand of this communist East German guard through this wall, something in me woke up. Something in me realized that a year ago I could have been called on to kill this guy, but now he's my friend. And Tanya, my wife, um, caught this picture and it, it, was a, it was a moving point in my life. What change? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to end up here with just a little bit with Ukraine and I'll, I'll end because there's a, a little propaganda film I, I, I've just got to show you. The Germans of Ukraine were, were very popular um, and, and the Mennonites in particular were just, the, 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 um, the, the Nazis loved this. So around here in Ukraine um, was a lot of German speaking settlements and particularly the Mennonites were just models. So they were places where there was a lot of propaganda given to them. Uh, a recent scholar, Benjamin Guzin from Harvard, has really exposed a lot of, of, of this area and some of the things there. Um, if you see the little black areas, these are different settlements of, of Mennonite settlements that would have been German-speaking during the time of World War II. Um, here's some, it shows you some of the, where the Hutterite would have come from. And I'm going to show you these, and then I'll break. Um, what you're viewing here is, a, I think, was a, a first aid or, or a, a Red Cross meeting. And this is Heimlich Himmler in a Mennonite church coming down, um, speaking to them about Red Cross and then, and then um, encouraging them. Um, here is a, a, a Mennonite church, a Mennonite home. It kind of looks like a, a, a Hutterite home um, today. And, and you can see the picture on her wall of Adolf Hitler in the background. Um, this is an interesting, this is an SS soldiers in, in Helmstadt, I forgot the actual name of the community, uh, Helmstadt or something, it's around Malachna, it was a colony. These are SS soldiers, all Mennonites, not just Nazis, not just tolerant, SS soldiers. Um, this is an interesting, Benjamin Guzman, the Harvard scholar, says a lot of times in old books, it says this shows the oppression of the Nazis, as you can see the, the scours on the women, um, their, their attitude there. And, and with the Nazis in the background, he says, oh, no, those Nazis in the background are Mennonite converts to Nazis. And this is the scene right there. Um, and they're raising the Nazi flag in Malachna colony or another different colony there. Um, and this is how quickly they, they took it on. So here's a close up. Malachna colony. That's a Nazi flag, and that's Heimlich Himmler, uh, who, if those who don't know, he was one of the major architects of, of the worst atrocities that happened in World War II. This is um, a, a Claussen. Um, he was uh, uh, executed and found guilty in the Nuremberg trial for handing over disabled patients to Heimlich Himmler to be killed um, there uh, in, in, in this area. So these atrocities are huge. And this propaganda, though, you got to understand was purposeful. These are propaganda posters that were given purposely identifying and trying to get um, the, the Nazis um, to, to turn Mennonites into Nazis. I'm going to show you this film. And it just reminds me of the way the press tried to get Mennonites involved in the politics in, in, during the George Bush era. Uh, and it happened here. I'm going to show you a scene. It's gerbled and it's in German but it's shocking. It says um, at the very end, it is our faith. It is the faith of our fathers. And I'm going to give this to you, and then I'm going to break. And it's just staggering 
this this propaganda film, and I found this clip. It's been since taken off the internet, um, and I grabbed it and recorded it. And, and it's just this is a a conservative Mennonite colony. The scene, the movie is a propaganda film of a Mennonite colony where the old preacher is saying we must love our enemies, and the new woke. Um, uh, uh, young man is challenging these beliefs and he ends up saying the, the minister says but this is the faith of our fathers and he ends up saying then i renounce this faith i'll try to show you the clip and then i'll, I'll break it to a few questions let's watch Dein Glaube und die Heilige Schrift, die davon kündet. Liebe deinen Nächsten wie dich selbst. Ja, das steht geschrieben. Aber wer sind meine Nächsten? Meine Frau, meine Verwandten. Und ihr alle, die ihr mit mir eines Blutes seid, die ihr mit mir eine Sprache sprecht, ihr seid meine Nächsten. Nein, alle Menschen sind deine Nächsten. Auch die Russen? Ja. Auch die, die uns unsere Pferde gestohlen haben? Die uns berauben, die unseren Frauen nachstellen, ja, auch die. Dann ist das nicht der rechte Glaube. Klaus Nieder. Nein, 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 das ist nicht der rechte Glaube. Das ist nicht mein Glaube. Es ist unser Glaube. Es ist der Glaube unserer Väter. Da sage ich mich von diesem Glauben los. Okay, so with that. I, I bring I, I end that and then I bring it to us and just show you the, the caution of how the world and these how they used and literally made films to attract the, the Mennonites to get them and to to get them on uh, into this and it, and it worked and it was effective and I think it's effective again and we're going to see it becoming continually repeatedly more effective and we get involved with politics so I hand it over to you brother. And, um, and for rest considerations. Okay, well, thank you so much, Dean. That was really, really good. Um, yeah, some really thought-provoking things there. I've heard you say before, ideas have consequences. Yeah, so I got a question, though, for you. And we have some coming in, but this is a personal one, actually. So aren't you being a little hard on these German Mennonites? I mean, they didn't know what was going to happen, did they? And they didn't know how bad the, the Nazi regime was going to be. Yeah, that's, that's been a, uh, a, a very, it's a very fair statement. And I will say that the Mennonites did repent uh, publicly with some things. Unfortunately, I think that Benjamin Guzman's the Harvard scholar that he's bringing out is... Um, I'm afraid they were more aware than we realized. I mean, literally um, right up the road from some of these major colonies, thousands of Jews were taken and killed. Um, this very doctor who would have been a, a active member in the church was actively involved with handing over um, handicapped um, um, patients to, to the government uh, for, for execution and that really there's, there's a deserving more blood on their hands than, than realized. To say that they didn't understand that that was happening over in Poland and the Russians didn't realize that is really not true. And, and seeing that people like uh, Everhard Arnold and only a very few amount of people were, were even pushing back in the slightest bit um, is, is, just, uh, is just shocking. The... the uh, it's, it was common, though, of all the, the conservative Christians, I have some more slides that they go, and it's not just the Mennonites. The, every self-respecting, Bible-believing Christian was getting involved with this, and that's kind of the point. Um, the, the more conservative, Bible-believing you were, the more you were, you were held off to this. And here's the point. This is where the damage, I think, of, of, of what happened for this last election. What happened after World War II in Europe is that they, it was a sweeping change into agnosticism and atheism. And people were like, look, is this, if this is what Bible-believing Christians turn us into, then who wants it? And I'm fearful that that's what's happened here with us, with what just happened in the last election and how we're getting involved with all these conspiracy theories and things like that. Um, we need to keep our eyes on the message of Jesus Christ. 
yeah, good, great question. Well, yeah, thanks a lot for that. I guess you know, I, I was definitely, I'm definitely taking the devil's advocate a little bit and sitting asking that question. It's a good question. Yeah. Because, yeah, and, and I, with, with you, have, have looked on this last elections and, and read some of those quotes that I've gotten from you on, you know, from those, that, that telegram to, the, to Hitler from the Mennonites and, and the, the Paraguayan Mennonites um, comments and how they're standing behind Hitler and, 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 and thought, I'm hearing it all again. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. it all again in, in President um, conservative Christians who are all supportive of, of another president that I'm not saying he's like, I'm not saying he was like Hitler, but yet right. when you, when you, yeah, when you buy into that it comes with it. So another question we had coming in here that I I'd like to like you to weigh in on. So someone, someone says they had, they got an, in the mail an appeal to sign a Roe versus Wade a citizen's position to reverse Roe versus Wade. And they're wondering what, what should be the, the response to something like that. It's a good question. I, I, of course, I get a little nervous when people send little papers around. Um, I do think um, we have to find our way that, we, that the voice must always be prophetic. Um, where I get a little nervous and I was, and I was really struggling how to where to stand with BLM and all those sorts of concerns that were going on is I'm, I'm usually very nervous with the agendas that are not church driven. Um, I do believe that the local church is God's institution for change uh, in the earth. It's not a college. It's not a parachurch organization. It's not a political uh, uh, thing um, that the church should be living the kingdom example and, and, and being prophetic. However, I do think that we have been too quiet and that we must be prophetic. I'm not against being a John the Baptist and standing on the, the going even as a church to Washington and as a people going into places of conflict and, and trying to make a change. I get nervous about signing and joining the, 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 the secular agendas because usually if you look at it, it's wrapped aside, it's wrapped in something else. Although my heart, of course, wants to in, in many of these situations, Roe versus Wade seems one that's, that's very, and I... I wouldn't mind if there was a, oh, uh, a protest even that was there. If somehow I could represent myself as a church and not part of that against some evil, and we had a prophetic voice, I would, I would encourage that. But I, uh, joining in those, those marches, I, I, I always get a little nervous because of their agendas. And I, I found myself very torn with these BLM riots that were happening even here in Boston. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's some good good thoughts there. Um, so another question that came in: How do we respond to our Protestant neighbors and Anabaptists or King Christians who are influenced by Reformed theology, who equate lack of political involvement as lack of caring? I mean, what what can we do about that? Or yeah. is there anything we can? Yeah, it's a fair question, and. Um... It's, you know, coming out of the military and you seeing some of the sacrifice that people have made. Um, this is where I do think, and I loved a lot of the, the questions that were brought to me earlier, is that they were very proactive based. And I do think that we must be much more um, willing to go to places of conflict and be the kingdom in these areas and show areas where we are sacrificing and dying also for this. If we're just enjoying the cheap price of Nike shoes while their boys go off and, um, and do this, it's, it's, it's a shame. Um, there was an interesting scene that happened in Canada in World War II. A bunch of Mennonites thought that they would be supportive and went to a, a, a political rally and said, we're going to sing here to support your troops that are there. And then all the, the young people were singing. It went off terrible because they saw all these strong, buff young men up there singing these songs and not doing anything, and uh, it, it made the press in a terrible scenario. So I do think it is our responsibility to be an army and a kingdom that we can point to ways that we are being in the fray, in the fight, uh, not just when they choose a war, but all the time right now, and not just enjoying our cheap capitalism 
while they while they enslave nations and and bring those prices to us. I I, I think it's a fair criticism. Yeah. Yeah, you just asked, I was just going to ask you, is that a fair criticism? Do Are we sometimes guilty of that? Yeah, I think we are. Yeah. 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 We are. Well, shame on us and open our eyes, Lord. Yeah, amen. So we just had a question come in here that I think is really good for for what what we're, we've been talking about this morning. And here here's the question. It says, how does the idea that God is in direct control of world governments and the verse in Matthew 4, 8 harmonize. So Matthew 4, 8, I believe is where Jesus was offering or the devil was offering Jesus as in Jesus temptation in the wilderness, offering him all the kingdoms of the world. Comments. Yeah, and, and how does it harmonize? I, yeah, I, 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 it's one of my favorite harmony passages for it. And so, um, of course, there's debate, did kingdom, did Satan have him have it to give, or was it God's to give? But nevertheless, it would appear that that, you know, of course, God is the sovereign to that and handed to Satan, but nevertheless, it's interesting that Satan is offering him that peace. And so it's as in, I, I read it as in Jesus had the opportunity to be an Alexander the Great. He had the opportunity to be uh, you know, a great leader of this earth. And if he would just bow to this system bow to this earthly politics way, um, bow to this, this concept that he could have been that great military leader and great king, uh, and he rejected that. And so I, I see this as, as something that, that Christians uh, so-called have, have, have uh, failed in century after century, from Constantine to, you know, to the Crusades, to, to, to Hitler and all those things. They, they bowed that knee and took that bait from Satan and he did give them the kingdoms of this earth. Um, so, yeah, I, I see it as, as a very much uh, a, a harmony of scriptures there. And so we should take the same response. We don't take the bait. Um, but we are a king. See, by not taking the bait, Pilate says, well, then are you a king then? Does that even count? I mean, I mean are you really in the fight? And that's where Jesus said, yes, you said rightly that I am a king. For this purpose, I am in the earth but my kingdom is not of this world. And so we must be very clear that our two kingdoms, we are, we do have a kingdom. We do have a fight. We do have a constitution. Um, we're not just to have this spiritual world and we have our physical world. No, we're physically here in the kingdom of God. And we don't take that Satan bait. So, yeah, I appreciate the, um, your, we are in a we are in warfare we are in a fight just we're, we're fighting with different weapons you know when i was in germany i wore american uniform in those days i vote in american elections i paid american taxes and ate american food while i lived in germany i spoke american english and i don't know if i even knew who the burgermeister of, of kaiserslautern was and who the chancellor of germany was at the time and i certainly couldn't have ran for for government there why because i was an american living in germany that's the way I see my, my place here in, in America. We are sojourners um, and our vocabulary, our constitution, our, our food, if you would, you know, our communion our, is, is the kingdom in the midst of the nations that we live. And, and I, I think we should, we should have sort of that mindset. Yeah, amen, well said. That's, that's so good. It's such a good way of thinking of it. Ambassadors or... Mm-hmm. We don't belong here. Yeah. Okay. Another question I want to want to throw at you here. We have one that came in. So, how do you help a church brother that has brought into that has bought into Trumpianism and talks a lot about the how evil the left is and how masks are stupid and lock, lockdowns are pointless and kind of all the talking points of the Christian right? Yeah, it's it's a very good question. Um, be careful not to. Um, talk over their heads. I, I, um, you know, I, I, one thing that we ended up doing, you know, we have to end up not doing is we do need to acknowledge the, we get frustrated with our conservative brothers getting involved in the politics. And if we're not careful, we'll end up just sounding like Democrats, you know, and, and being the other agenda. And I, I, we have to be very careful to hear the, the cry. 
because I, I I do think you know that God used uh, President Trump to do several different things, just like He used Assyria, um, and I do think He will use Biden in in these different ways. Um, and so, don't get in, thrown into a tit for tat argument. Um, acknowledge it, and with all these mass things, let's remember that. When Jesus gave us the analogy of the soldier, if, if, somebody, if, if somebody compels you to go one mile, go with them two. Um, that was a stupid rule. It was a rule built of oppression of a people that had no business being in, in Jerusalem. And a soldier could literally take you and say, you have to carry my stuff this, this way and that. It messed up your schedule. It messed up your community. It messed up your time. It was oppression. And to that, Jesus said, go with them too. So we should try the best we can um, to, to, in any way we can, to obey these ridiculous laws. And, and I will say they are. Uh, they're hurting us and, um, and come up with different ways. But if, if the world just sees us as these ignorant, conspiratorial um, people who are just resistant in, in every ways, and when it really counts, it won't be as... Um, uh, it won't be as effective. So it's hard. Hear the conservative brothers. Try not to get a talking over each other's head. And in every, any way we can, let's try to go, walk a second mile. Thank you, Dean. I, I, I want to make a comment on the one. I really like the slide. I'm not sure if I, I've seen that one before, but I like that voter button. I really like that. That's, that's yeah. there. I choose evil, the lesser. Yeah, exactly. It's what and, it really means. It really, yeah. Um, yeah. So just, yeah, thank you for that clear call to, to recognizing Jesus' kingdom, being part of his kingdom, not fighting the world's way, but Jesus' way. So, and I, and I as you said this, I, I recognize this quote I think that's probably, you talked about the John D. Martin quote that you, you like, his favorite quote. And I, and maybe, I'm not sure if this is original with you or not, but the, we are to be what is to become. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's kind of based on that whole thinking that uh, Brother uh, John D. shares that idea that if you think of heaven <laughs> and, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Um, and, uh that idea is kind of just encapsulates our thinking. We should be this kingdom-minded people putting the, the, we should be embassies of heaven, you know, like, so if you go to American embassy, you know, you're there, you, when I was in Bulgaria here recently, you know, um, it was funny, I'm in the middle of Bulgaria, you go in there, they got American music on, they're eating hot dogs, you know, or something, <laughs> they weren't eating hot dogs, but something like that, you know, you just felt like you're, some guy named Joe and Frank are there at the, you know, at the gate, you're in America, even though you're in Bulgaria, you know, you're in this embassy. Well, that's what the kingdom of heaven church, that's what local church should be, that we are embassies of heaven. And if we kind of get our mind wrapped in that way, um, it, it kind of puts things to perspective, I think. Well, yes. Amen. Thank you for that. Um, that's really good. And we're coming at 710. And we've got quite a few more questions that are in yet, but we're gonna we're planning for a little longer question at Q and A time this afternoon. So we'll be ready for that. And as you have more questions, any anyone of, of the participants, you can send them in by the one of the chats or to the email address if you have more yet before this afternoon. Uh, the email is contact at strength to strength org. So yeah, we're playing for 30 minutes this afternoon, and so that's at 3 o'clock this afternoon, 3 o'clock Eastern Time, same connection, anyone who's on, and, and if you've been blessed by this, by all means, everyone, forward it to someone you know who would also be blessed by it and maybe be challenged, and we can, yeah, look forward to how the Lord can use this. Uh, thank you so much, Dean. I think we're going to have a... Dean, would you lead us in a closing prayer here, please? Sure, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. I, 
we don't want to just be not into politics. We don't want to just be resistors of this world. We, God, we want to, to represent you. I, I, I pray you would have mercy on us. I pray that you would be very present in our churches, in our lives. I pray that you and your ways and your cure for humanity and your dreams for how we should live and, and your ideas and your, and your, you would be glorified in our life and in our churches. I pray over our country and I pray for our president. I pray for President Biden. I pray for these governments, Lord. I pray that, that they would allow us to live peaceable lives and that the church would prosper. And I pray through all these things, God, that you would be glorified in our lives and in our nation and in the church. God, I pray for your help. We need it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you everyone for, for joining us this morning and we look forward to seeing you again at three o'clock. Blessings. Okay. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.